If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. We've been studying the Ten Commandments. Today we come to the Fourth Commandment. But as we begin, I I must tell you that in preparing sermons for this series, I've felt somewhat overwhelmed and wondered, in fact, if I should do a series on each commandment, um, that a single sermon on a commandment seems insufficient. And as a result, I think I've put a lot of material into the sermons, um, perhaps too much, but uh, hopefully it has been of some benefit. Today we come to the longest of the Ten Commandments, one that, in the words of an author, is ruthlessly countercultural. Verses 8 through 11 of Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Thought in looking at the fourth commandment, we would list, look at a list of things to consider uh, about this commandment. First of all, we need to begin by recognizing that the Sabbath is a gift. I think it's a good place to start. We saw when we went through the Gospel of Mark that there were several confrontations between Jesus and those who opposed him over the issue of the Sabbath. And in one case, Jesus' answer was this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's Mark 2.27. And it's worth noting, and I find it fascinating, that in the creation week, humanity was created on the sixth day and the Sabbath on the seventh day. So human beings came before the Sabbath. Man precedes the Sabbath, and so the Sabbath is made for him and not the other way around. The Sabbath is located in time. You say, so what? Well, time is also a gift from God. It is something that he has created. As one philosopher put it, in order to understand the meaning of a system, you need to have someone outside the system uh, to look at it. And And it's true, the meaning of life, of the world, of history, of time, doesn't lie within them, but comes from outside them. Now, time is, in fact, a great mystery. And even more so if we considered it only from within. We who are in time, it'd be like us, it'd be like fish trying to describe water. You know, we live in time, it's it's who we are. But we know from God that he is the one who created time. The Bible opens with the words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And a few verses later, God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So the principle to set down for time, for the Sabbath, for this fourth commandment is that it is something that God created. The account in Genesis continues with the six days of creation and then on the seventh day God ceased from his work of creation. And I wonder how many people today, modern people, realize that in fact the seven-day week comes from the creation week in which God made the heavens and the earth. 
God made time. So God's not limited by time. It, time is one of his creations. Um, we, we should never say, oh, God has to do this or he has to do that, as though somehow he is a prisoner of time. You want to call us that, that he's bound by time. God is only bound by his character and he is holy. Time is not infinite. It is limited. Only God is infinite. The so time is limited, but it is also limiting. That is to say, there's no way we can get around it. We're fascinated, you know, uh, TV shows, movies, books about time travel, about being able to go into the future, to go in the past. And it, it's something that's very intriguing, but it is, in fact, fiction. It's not something that we can do. The reality is we are, for lack of a better word, stuck in the present. Memory connects us to the past, or it can, if you remember. Um, imagination will tie us to the future, but we live in the present. There is a problem, though. Because of sin, time can become a burden. It can frustrate us. Um, yeah, we're stuck, and, and we don't like that. I think if sin had not come into the world, we would still be limited by time, but it would not be a source of frustration. It would not be a burden. We would recognize that we are dependent, but now that we are sinners, we don't want to be dependent. We want to be independent. In the West, we prize freedom, autonomy, individualism. The reality is we need each other. We are bound together. We are dependent creatures. And time is one of the things that keeps sort of tapping us on the shoulders, reminding us that, in fact, we are dependent and limited creatures. We need to realize that everything we have is gift, is a gift from God. The second thing that I would have you consider is that this commandment, the fourth commandment, is tied to the other nine commandments. I'll only mention two in particular. First of all, the first commandment in verses 2 and 3 there in Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Consider the context within which that is said. You have a nation, the Israelites, who were a nation of slaves, and now they are a nation of people who have been redeemed. They had been slaves in Egypt, in a land of false gods. They've been redeemed by the one true God. Like, so how does that relate to the Sabbath? God took them out of the system of slavery and brought them into his own system, out of the system of the gods of Egypt. By the way, the night of Passover is described this way. By God. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Okay. This commandment is given within that context. They'd been in Egypt, false gods, but I think that the commandment applies across time as we are surrounded by people who worship false gods. And what is it about these false gods? Well, first of all, they're false. They're not real. But you find their falseness in that they are demanding. They are what one person calls confisc confiscatory. They confiscate. 
they take. They demand endless production. They authorize endless systems of production. They are impossible. They are impossible to satisfy. And the first commandment says that the Lord God of Israel is not like the other gods. He's not like the gods the slaves had known up to that point. He entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. He doesn't view them as a commodity. He doesn't view them as slaves that have to be efficient and productive all the time. One writer put it this way, the Sabbath rest of God is the acknowledgement that God and God's people are not commodities to be dispatched for endless production and so dispatched, as we used to say, as hands in the service of a command commodity. By the way, this quote comes from a book on the Sabbath called Sabbath as Resistance, saying no to the culture of now. So it's tied to the first commandment. It's also tied to the tenth. If, if you look at verse number 17, it is the tenth commandment on coveting. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Two things here. The first, I will remind you of what we've seen in Romans 7, that Paul said he thought he was a good person. He was keeping the law until he came to the tenth commandment and it killed him. He said, indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, the commandment, that is coveting, sin sprang to life and I died. I would say, as we've seen before, that before you break any of the nine commandments, you break the tenth. You covet. You want another God besides the true God. Okay? You want to make images rather than worshiping a God that we cannot see, and so on. The second thing is, it's connected to the Sabbath, in that coveting is a reflection of a certain restlessness. Like, what you have, you're not satisfied with. You have a household, you have a wife, you have children, you have animals, you have these things. And it's not enough. There's a certain restlessness. And the Sabbath is, in fact, to point to rest. Just as the fourth commandment includes that you're not to do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your maidservant or um, manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, the tenth as well. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. But again, this restlessness creeps in, and we want what somebody else has because we don't have it. One author has concluded, the Sabbath commandment, that is the fourth commandment, what we're looking at today, explains all the other commandments or all the other forms of the one commandment that is to love the Lord your God. It is thus to be placed at their head by demanding man's abstention and resting from his own works. It explains that the commanding God, God gives a commandment, who has created man and commissioned him to do his work is the God who is gracious to man in Jesus Christ. Thus it points him away from everything that he himself will can will and achieve and back to what God has done for him and will do for him. 
It reminds man of God's plan for him, of the fact that he has already carried it out and that in his revelation, he will execute both his will with him and his work for him and toward him. So, the Sabbath is gift, okay? But it's also connected to the other commandments. Thirdly, the Sabbath deals with rest, and that is the focus. And if that's the one thing you take away from the sermon, that's what I hope you take away. Um, what we find in Exodus 20 is that the week of creation is the basis for the Sabbath. By the way, it's a wonderful reminder that the commandments are sim aren't simply a list of do's and don'ts. Don't do this, do this. And that's oftentimes how people see the commandments, how they see scripture in general. But rather, it says, this is the way things are. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. The Sabbath is a day of rest. It is to be observed as holy. Okay. So it's not about, better keep the Sabbath. It's about, this is the way the Sabbath is. This is the way reality works. To keep the Sabbath is a sign of trust that God governs the world. So we don't have to work seven days a week to make sure things keep going the way they're supposed to. We can, in fact, step back and trust that God, in fact, is in control. God welcomes our work. He's given us callings. We are supposed to work. He welcomes our labors. But our contributions have their limits. And we need to realize that. We are not like the Greek god Atlas, who carries the world on his shoulders. We are to have a day of rest. A day of rest. The world won't fall apart simply because we are at rest. This brings up a question. What does it mean that on the seventh day God rested? That could probably be another series of sermons. But it's been suggested that after six days of creating, creation was not yet complete. What it lacked and therefore remained to be created was rest. That is to say, God created rest. He created tranquility, serenity, the peace of God. So he has created the world, and yet there's something not there's something missing, and that's what we find God doing on the seventh day. But rest doesn't mean that we simply stop doing stuff. Rest isn't stopping. Uh, we may stop from our work, but what we are doing is saying, without using words, that we trust God. It's a fundamental demonstration that we trust him that God is good, God is praiseworthy, and when I step back for a day and rest, I am trusting that God, in fact, continues to govern the world. Uh, by the way, we do the same thing when we go to sleep at night. I don't know if people realize that going to sleep is, in fact, an act of faith, that I, I can close my eyes and sleep and basically be unconscious, and the world keeps going. It keeps going even though I am asleep. And so it is with the Sabbath rest. 
it's not a time to do nothing, but it's a time to step back and to think, to remember, to recall. It is, in fact, resting is an ethical activity. Like, really? Ethical? Yeah, because we're trusting God and we're obeying what he tells us. The fourth thing I would tell you about this commandment is that it is cosmic in nature. In the listing of these Ten Commandments in Exodus, the focal point is the week of creation. Verse number 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What the Israelites were reminded or informed, because they had been worshipping false gods in Egypt, was that the Lord created the cosmos, the world. And with that in mind, the Sabbath isn't simply for us as human beings, but for the cosmos, for the animals, for creation itself. So, the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You're not supposed to work on it, not you, your family, not your servants, nor your animals. The matter of time, as with the Sabbath, is cosmic. It's not as though time is simply for us. Yeah, we have watches, we have clocks, animals don't, uh, planets don't, stars don't. But in fact, time is something that binds us all together. It's not as though there's a time for us and then a time for the rest of creation. No, we all are within this thing that God created called time. Other parts of creation are to rest as well. It's not like, okay, the rest of you, you, you all, you know, 24-7, you all keep working, uh, but we as human beings, we're special, and therefore we get to take a day off every week. No, creation as well. In Exodus 23, for six years you shall sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused, Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Verse 12, six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. The land is to rest, the animals are to rest. In Leviticus 25, Uh, The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, and the land land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. Interesting. Observe the Sabbath as holy. The land is to observe a Sabbath. Seems rather strange, doesn't it? For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. It is cosmic. It is for the cosmos. It is for creation. When Moses retells the story of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, which is literally second law, okay, when he gives the Ten Commandments, the focus in the Fourth Commandment is found elsewhere. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In Exodus 20, the focus is on creation. God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh. But here in Deuteronomy, the focus is on redemption. You were slaves and God redeemed you. God was gracious to you. So one author has observed, in this case, then the Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath has become not just a powerful symbol of creation, that's Exodus 20, but a powerful symbol of redemption and grace. Everyone in the household, not just the children, but the servants, the animals, and even the strangers among them can rest. The Sabbath extends the grace given to the Jews to others as well, even to those outside of the covenant people themselves. And it is found in the heart of God's law. What God has graciously done for them, they need to do for others. It's that simple. In other words, Keep the Sabbath holy. You used to be slaves, and God redeemed you graciously. You might say, well, you know, if you're an Israelite, well, that's great. We are God's chosen people. He redeemed us. We get to rest. The rest of you get to work. No. God's grace, which was shown, shown to the Jews, to the Israelites, they are also to show to others. And so even the aliens, those who are from the surrounding nations, and probably pagans, like, no, they get to rest too. They get to enjoy the benefits of God's grace. You see, God loves not only us, he loves his whole creation, even the animals. And at the heart of God's intention for all creation is rest. The fifth thing I would tell you about the Sabbath is that it is a time for thanksgiving. Perhaps not for the Israelites, but I think for most people today, the Sabbath is a burden. It's like, oh, got to take a day off. Got to have a day of rest. Um, I found this one quote from someone uh, rather ironic. I need to work harder at keeping the Sabbath. (laughs) Sabbath is to be a day of rest, not a day of work. There's something really quite wrong when we think, boy, I've got to work at resting. I think the key is to think in terms of thanksgiving. Psalm 92. It's a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. In the ESV, it starts out this way. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High to declare your steadfast love in the morning, your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. The work of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. If we retain a sense that, in fact, the Sabbath, rest, being able to step back from work and rest is a gift from God, 
And if we remember that what we have is far more than we deserve, and perhaps more than we expect, then we can live in that life of gratitude, in the light of gratitude. And we may forget that. And so when we gather to worship, we can be reminded, oh, yes, that's right. I'm to be thankful. It may be if you could graph it or chart it out that on Sundays we are full of gratitude as we speak to one another, if we hear of what God is doing in each other's life, as we sing, all that we do. And then just as the week goes on, it just sort of peters out. And then we come back on Sunday and once again we are renewed. We are reminded that it in fact is about being thankful to God. By the way, the psalm goes on. I stopped at verse number six. The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will, forever, they will be forever destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered goes on to describe the fact that those who in fact do not give thanks, those who do not have this psalm for the Sabbath, they're fools because they don't recognize in fact what God has done and what he is doing. When we rest in God, we are giving concrete testimony. I use that word carefully because I was raised in a traditional like who wants to testify who wants to give a testimony as though it's something that you speak and sometimes you do that but when we rest we are in fact giving concrete testimony to the reality that God is generous that God cares for us that he cares for his creation and it is boundless it knows no limits God is so gracious Listen to what one writer, writer asserts. When our work and play, our exertion and our rest flow seamlessly from the, de- the deep desire to give thanks to God, the totality of our living, cooking, eating, cleaning, preaching, teaching, parenting, building, repairing, healing, creating, becomes one sustained and ever-expanding act of worship. Because we are grateful But let's remember, Thanksgiving isn't just for the Sabbath. It's like, okay, I have a day where I give thanks and the rest of the time, eh, you know, whatever. Uh, Rather, we are to direct our choices so that they show every day a deep appreciation for God's grace. The sixth thing I will tell you, there's just two more. We'll talk about the Sabbath and eternity and delight. It is not to be a, a burden, something you have to work at, but it is to be a delight. We read about the creation week. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. God himself took pleasure in his creation. If we remember that God created out of love, that was the motivation. 
It's a concrete manifestation. How do we know that God is love? God created the world. Then it is impossible, it should be impossible to think of the creation as anything but delightful, something which God saw as being very good, a joy to behold. I think the rub here, why we think, well, how could God possibly delight in his creation is because of sin, because of the fall. Things are broken. Some have suggested that God is an absentee landlord. He created the world and then left us and to our own devices, and we're trying to fix this mess that we've been left in. But he created the world as an act of love, with the world as a concrete manifestation of his love. Do we think he would then abandon it? If God acts out of love and creates, then he's like, yeah, okay, you got, you're on your own. Jesus was questioned, as I said, a number of times about healing on the Sabbath. In one particular case in John 5, where he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, and people were like, what are you doing? You know, why are you healing on the Sabbath? He answered, my father is always at his work to this very day. God is always at work. But we, we find it hard to see that because our view is hampered as a result of the effects of sin. God has remained faithful. As Paul tells us, when we're faithless, he remains faithful. He finds his whole creation lovable and delightful. But not only is the Sabbath delightful and creation delightful, it points to eternity. In Hebrews 4, uh, the writer sort of goes off on a tangent, sort of, and he, he goes back and forth. He's talking about the people in the wilderness and in Dave, David, and then he comes to the future. This is what he says. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work had been finished since the creation of the world. It's like, okay, you can't enter my rest, but wait, that was, that was way back at creation. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time ago he spoke through David, as was said before, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, that is, Joshua led them across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, the promised land, is that the rest? If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For if anyone who enters God's rest also rest from his own work. I'm sorry, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by following the example of disobedience. The eternal state, life after life after death, that is to say, after we die, we have that intermediate period and then there will be the resurrection, we enter the eternal state, that is called the Sabbath rest. 
It is the rest of God. So the Sabbath and the fourth commandment, yeah, it's kind of important, wouldn't you say? It is rest, but it points to eternity. One writer has concluded this, um, and I, I have to tell you, this is from a rabbi, not a Christian, a rabbi, a rabbi Abraham Heschel. Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated into the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. Sad is the lot of him who arrives inexperienced and when led to heaven has no power to perceive the beauty of the Sabbath. Well, I think when we're resurrected, we'll be made perfect and so all that will be set aside. But I think a point is really interesting. The Sabbath is, the rest for us now is in fact a reminder that one day we will, re- we will enter God's eternal rest. Eternal rest. Okay, the last point, and probably this is what I should have spent more time on, but what about Sunday? Has Sunday replaced the Sabbath in the fourth commandment? Are we to keep the seventh day as a Sabbath? Is Sunday the replacement of the Sabbath? Is Sunday the Christian Sabbath? Sunday is known as the Lord's Day. We find this in Revelation 1.10. On the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit. This is John speaking, and then he has a series of visions. Elsewhere, elsewhere is referred to as the first day of the week. Acts 20, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept talking until midnight. I haven't been talking that long, but apparently Paul kept going on and on and on. In 1 Corinthians 6, 16, I'm sorry, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. First day of the week, when you gather to worship, put the money down, and the money wasn't for the ministry, it was for the poor in Jerusalem. And Paul said, you know, let's not wait till the last minute, let's do it on the first day of the week. Um, But Paul would go into the synagogues on the Sabbath, and he would preach there. Um, so, So what's up? I would argue that the Christian Sunday neither abolishes nor replaces the Sabbath. It doesn't get rid of the Sabbath. It doesn't replace the Sabbath. Sunday, the Christian Sunday, is not a day of rest. Okay? For the Christians, it is not a day of rest. It is a day of worship. Okay? And why Sunday? Because that's when Jesus was raised from the dead. I said earlier that the Sabbath is cosmic in nature. The resurrection is cosmic in nature. And resurrection is about reordering time. It is, in fact, the redemption of creation from sin and death. And so now this fourth commandment we should see in light of the resurrection. The world is a matter of God's work. God is at work. Rather than us anxiously worrying and striving to accomplish something. As God's people, we can live righteously 
even though our living from an outside perspective is not productive. What are you doing resting? There's work to be done. God's time, and hopefully our time, is not the world's time. But sadly, Christians follow the world's time. We forget the place of rest, and so we become as anxious and exhausted as the world, striving as though it all depends on me. Rather than resting in God, and trusting him to be in control, we never stop. We never stop. I would say the fourth commandment in the life of believers today is not, oh, Sunday's now your Sabbath. No. The principle of rest is what is for us as God's people. So there isn't a specific day. I mean, obviously for me, Sunday is not a day of rest. Okay. But Guy and I have tried. We've, we set aside a specific day that we call our Sabbath day, a day of rest. And trust that even if we do nothing on that day, that's kind of rare, but even if we just sit around and read some books, and people say, well, that's not very efficient, that's not very productive, it is, by God's grace, an act of faith to trust God that the world will keep spinning, God will keep at his work as we are resting. You see, when Jesus came into the world, It wasn't simply an add-on to what God is doing in the world. It was, in fact, the fulfilling of what God began way at the beginning in creation. By the way, that's why Paul wrote to the Colossians, he, that is the Lord Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, that is the Lord Jesus, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is therefore, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, and so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood and on the cross. Our salvation was obtained by the creator. Jesus, who made the world, it's not sort of a, let's see, oh, something's missing here. Let's throw Jesus in and tack that onto God's work. He is the one who created the world. And then part of the creation is that we are to rest. And then in his giving his life, we put our faith in him. We rest in him. We trust him rather than striving in our own strength. And we are to begin to do that now, in this life. Um, someone used to say when I was younger, rest when you get to heaven. Sleep when you get to heaven. No no time for that now. No, it is precisely here that we begin the practice of rest that prepares us for the eternal state. And when we rest, 
we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we trust him, we rest in him, the one who made heaven and earth. In the prayer of confession today, based on the Ten Commandments, this is what we said when it came to the Fourth Commandment. I don't know if you remember. I said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And you responded, but we prefer earning our salvation to resting in you. And there it is. The Fourth Commandment is for us to trust, to rest in God. By God's grace, may we recognize once again that our rest is in God and not in our own efforts. Let's pray together. Our Father, ever since the Garden of Eden, we have wanted to be like you. And so in our daily living, in our thinking, we often set you aside and think that by our efforts, by our worrying, our anxiety, our striving, not getting enough sleep, working round the clock, we can somehow achieve that which is good. And insidiously we begin to think that we can earn our salvation. In the fourth commandment we hear the gospel proclaim that we are to rest in you. We are to trust in what Jesus has done for us rather than looking to our own efforts. May we think on these things in the days to come. May your spirit bring them back to our thinking. May we meditate, may we chew on them, and realize in fact that in a world of busyness, we are to be marked by rest. And rest is not laziness. It is trust. It is faith. It is proclaiming the gospel. Thank you for bringing us together today. Once again, we remember Yakina in our prayers. For Oscar, as he works at the polls, keep him safe. For each of us, may we have a sense of your presence as we walk through the world and as we rest. May your spirit and grace go with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.